Welcome to the 2011 Shepherds Conference, General Session 8, Steve Lawson. I want to begin by thanking Dr. MacArthur for this opportunity and this privilege to be able to stand before you this afternoon and to bring the Word of God. And I want to thank Grace Community Church for their wonderful hosting of this conference, which has come to be really a milestone in our annual calendar uh, for us who serve the Lord. It is such a joy to be with you men. I don't think there's another place in the world where so uniquely so many strong men gather together in one place to commit themselves to the work of God. As iron sharpens iron, so one man another And I believe that we draw strength from one another, and we sharpen one another, and we challenge one another to stand strong in the grace of God as we come together and convene in this conference. And so it is with a great deal of anticipation to be with you at this conference that I now ask you to take God's Word And turn with me to the book of Amos, to Amos chapter 8. I want to bring to you a message that I've entitled, Famine in the Land. I've written a book entitled, Famine in the Land, yet I have no chapter or no message by that title. And I would like to expound this passage for us in our time today because we do live in such a time in which there is a severe famine in the land for the hearing of the words of the Lord. Amos chapter 8, I want to begin reading in verse 11. We will expound the entire chapter, but I want to read verses 11 and 12. God says through His prophet, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will scatter from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Of all the natural disasters that can strike a nation, few are more devastating than a severe famine. Times of a widespread shortage of food on a grand scale has resulted in widespread loss of human life. In 1846, the great Irish famine devastated the United Kingdom and some one to two million lives were taken. In 1932, a severe famine shrouded the Soviet Union, resulting in massive starvation conditions that took the lives of some six to 10 million people. In 1943, the Bengal famine struck India like a food tsunami 
in which some four million people had their life taken due to the shortage of food. In 1959, a catastrophic famine swept across China and caused the deaths, it has been estimated, as many as 43 million people. During these extreme famine shortages, devastating effects are seen on every side. Human life wastes away to nothing. Body fat dries up. Stomachs balloon and swell out. Arms shrivel up. Faces shrink. Cheekbones protrude. Rib cages surface. Famine victims are like dead men walking. The truth is, where there is no food, there is no human life. A food is absolutely an essential and a necessity for a human existence. Without food, the grim reaper of death stalks the land. But no matter how devastating a major famine is, what is even more calamitous is when a spiritual famine descends upon a land. Far worse than the starvation of the body is the starvation of the soul. A physical famine has temporal consequences, but a spiritual famine has eternal consequences. A physical famine leads to the first death, but a spiritual famine ushers in the second death. Whenever a spiritual famine occurs, there can be no spiritual life and no spiritual vitality and no spiritual growth and no spiritual fruit. During days of severe spiritual drought, pulpits dry up and become barren. Truth becomes scarce. Preachers become clouds without rain. Teachers become springs without water. Churches become dust bowls. Ministries shrivel up and people begin to die on the vine. Now, this is precisely what the promise prophet Amos said as he stood in his day. The year was 755 BC and it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Financially, politically, culturally, it was a time of prosperity and power for the 10 tribes of the Northern Kingdom. Jeroboam II was the king of Israel. And in his kingdom, outwardly, it was at a time of the zenith of success. But inwardly, spiritually, the nation was given over to gross idolatry and corruption and hypocrisy. And Israel had the word of God but she did not hear the word of God, and the people of God would not heed the word of God, and Israel was guilty of playing games with God, and she gave the external appearance that she was religious, but on the inside, she was only half in and half out with God. Consequently, God declared through the prophet Amos, that he would remove the word of God from their midst, and that God would send an unprecedented famine in which there would be a famine upon the land. As the prophet Amos warned of a coming famine in his day, 
I believe that surely we are living in such days in which we are witnessing a spiritual famine in the land. Theologian Walt Kaiser is among many who have declared that such days of drought are now here for the evangelical church. Kaiser writes, the famine of the word continues in massive proportions in most places in North America. Kaiser analyzes the current state of the church and he renders it spiritually anemic and malnourished and weak. And the reason is, he says, the utter absence of biblical preaching in the evangelical pulpit. Kaiser further writes, it is no secret that Christ's church is not at all in good health. She has been languishing because she has been fed spiritual junk food. All kinds, Kaiser writes, of artificial preservatives and all sorts of unnatural substitutes have been served up to her, and as a result, theological and biblical malnutrition has affected the very generation that has taken such giant steps to make sure its physical health is not damaged by using foods that are harmful to the physical bodies. And then Kaiser concludes a worldwide spiritual famine resulting from the absence of any genuine proclamation of the Word of God continues to run wild and almost unabated in most quarters of the church. Close quote. Men, we stand in a very unique time in history as God has called us to stand and serve and to minister His Word. And we are surrounded by dead men who are walking. We are surrounded by an absence of the preaching of the Word of God. We serve in days of a famine in the land. Could it be that we have exchanged theology for methodology? Could it be that we have exchanged biblical preaching for behavior modification? Could it be that we have exchanged Scripture for stories? Could it be that we have exchanged the supremacy of God for the supremacy of man? Could it be that the church today is actually bored with the Bible? The prophet Amos said in his day, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. As we look at this text today, I want to set before you five headings as we will work our way through this passage. I believe that this text is relevant for the hour in which we find ourselves as we minister in days, I believe, of famine. I want you to note first the certainty of the famine. God is the speaker, and He declares with infallible and irrevocable certainty that there is a famine coming to the people of God. Notice how verse 11 begins, behold. And that is to say, mark this well. Pay attention to this. Take note of this. 
And this word behold is like a, a drill sergeant who is bursting into the barracks early in the morning and waking up his sleeping troops to secure their attention. Behold, wake up, look at this. Days are coming. And not, mere, not merely a passing day, more than a short period of time, days, plural, are coming. An extended period of time is fast approaching, God says. It is coming with absolute certainty. It is unavoidable. It is inevitable. It is destined. It is inescapable. It is irreversible. God says these days are looming on the horizon. They are fast approaching. It cannot be diverted. They are now soon upon us. How certain is this? Well, he says in verse 11, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. It is God himself who says it is coming. God has declared it, and surely it will come to pass. Numbers 23, verse 19, Moses writes, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has God said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? The answers to these rhetorical questions is a resounding yes. God will bring to pass all that he said he will do. This is the certainty of this coming famine, God says, through Amos. The people of God had crossed the line with God. The people of God had gone too far. The people of God had hit the point of no return. There is no avoiding this famine. And so it will be equally certain for any land when God declares it to be so. Those who have the word of God and who refuse to hear it and who refuse to heed it in the perfect timing of God will face the certainty of just such a famine. I wonder where our land stands today with God. First, the certainty of the famine. Second, the controller of the famine. Please note who it is who is sending this famine. We continue to read, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Who will send this famine? It's not the devil. It's not the false prophets. It is not apostate religion. It is God himself who will send the famine. God is the one who exercises control over the spiritual condition of any land. This famine is heaven sent. The hand of the Lord will send it. This is a divine famine. This is a divine judgment upon the land. God is the speaker and God is the sender of this famine. And when it comes, it will break with divine fury and it will break with divine severity. But this will not be a small famine, not a mere passing one, but one that will hit with great power upon the land. 
It will hit with the severity of a Category 5 hurricane. It will be a divine visitation from heaven. Now, this famine, God says, will strike the land. The land is in the northern kingdom of Israel, that place where God had sent His prophets and sent His prophets and where the Word of God was plentiful and the hearing of the Word of the Lord was accessible to the people of God. But they turned a deaf ear to the prophets and to the Word of God, and God now promises the cataclysmic famine, and it looks ahead to the coming Assyrian captivity. And the ten northern tribes of Israel, once in the promised land, will be taken away in judgment at the hands of the invading Assyrian empire. This will be a horrific judgment from God. Men will be slaughtered, women will be abused, children will be enslaved, they will be swept away in judgment, and once they arrive in Assyria, they will be enchained, they will be enslaved, they will be subjected to cruel treatment. But once in Assyria, as they are in the chains of slavery, there will await yet a more severe judgment upon the people of God. It will be a famine for the hearing of the word of the Lord. It is a famine sent by God upon the foreign land in which they will find themselves. This famine will be a far greater judgment than the Assyrian conquest, than the Assyrian imprisonment, and than the Assyrian exile it is a famine that will follow them all the way to Assyria, and there is no greater judgment upon a people than for them to no longer hear the word of the Lord. God is sovereign over the spiritual conditions of any land, over any nation, over any church. It is God who sovereignly chooses His prophets and chooses his preachers, and it is God who commissions them, and it is God who sends them forth, and it is also God who withholds them, and it is God who redirects them to other lands and to other places. There is no greater judgment than to be in a land where you cannot hear the word of the Lord. This is the controller of the famine. And it is none other than God Himself. Now please notice third, the character of the famine. For verse 11 goes on to define and to describe what will be the nature of this coming famine. Of what character will it be? And God declares both with a negative denial and then with a positive assertion exactly what will this famine be. He begins by telling us what it will not be. God begins with the negative. Note, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water. No, this will not be the normal kind of famine. This will be no ordinary famine. Not a famine caused by drought conditions, not a famine caused by a lack of rain resulting in no water and severity of food, 
Uh, Such famines for bread and water have struck the people of God previous to this. In Genesis 12, verse 10, in the days of Abram, there was, quote, a famine in the land. In Genesis 26, 1, in the days of Isaac, there was, quote, a famine in the land. And in Genesis 41, verse 27, in the days of Joseph, seven years of famine, all under the control of the sovereignty of God because God alone is the one who controls the weather and the conditions that are necessary for the harvest, and it is God who withholds the rain in a severe judgment upon the land and removes the food from those people. But what God said was coming was not a famine like this. It will be far worse, far more devastating, far more deadly. And God now speaks with positive assertion what will be the character, what will be the nature of this coming famine. Notice, but, meaning on the other hand, or to the contrary, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. The day will come, God says, when the people of God will no longer hear the words of God. There will be a spiritual famine. There will be a truth famine. There will be a revelatory famine. In the days of their captivity, God will turn them over to their own ways, and there will be no prophets to speak a word from heaven. In captivity, there will be no mouthpieces for God through whom he will speak to the people. The heavens will be as brass. The heavens will be silent. The heavens will be mute. And the people of God will no longer hear the word of God. Food and water constitute the absolute essentials to sustain human life. But God's people would languish under, under an even more oppressive and severe famine. And this will be the worst famine of all. No one can live spiritually without the strength that comes from the Word of God brought to the heart. It is better to be deprived of food and drink than to go without the Word of God. And the nature of this famine would be that there would be no truth from God proclaimed to their ears. There would be no prophets sent from heaven. There would be no more thus says the Lord. There will be no divine revelation. This famine will be catastrophic. Worse than strong words of judgment are no words at all from God. To receive no word from the Lord meant that God had hidden his face and had given a people over and had abandoned them to go their own way. And in such a state, without the Word of God, their souls would become emaciated, their spirits malnourished, their faith shriveled up, their growth stunted, their spiritual muscles atrophied, their strength gone. Spiritually speaking, they will suffer bloated bellies, pencil-like arms, sunken eyes, shrunken tongues, they will become walking dead men in the land because there will be no word of the Lord. 
It was George Whitfield, the renowned English evangelist of the 18th century, who said, as God can send a nation or people no greater blessing than to give them faithful, sincere, upright ministers, so the greatest curse that God can possibly send upon a people in this world is to give them over to blind, unregenerate, carnal, lukewarm, unskilled guides. And so it is. The greatest curse that can descend upon any nation is that they be subject to spiritual leaders who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The greatest curse is to come to the house of God and to sit in the house of God and not to hear the Word of God. The greatest curse is to hear instead in the house of God the vain imaginations of godless men, to hear the empty, vain philosophies of this world. The greatest curse is to come to the house of God and to hear instead secular ideologies. The greatest curse is to come to the house of God, but to hear only the religious babblings and spiritual superstitions of blind leaders of the blind. The greatest curse is to be subjected to a famine in the land for the hearing of the word of the Lord. Men, I believe that we are living in such days of famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. Our host, John MacArthur, has told me that when he now flies to, into a city to preach, and he is picked up at the airport by his host and put into the car and to be driven to the church where he is to preach, he says, we drive past large church after large church until finally he arrives at a tiny little church on the outskirts of town where a mere handful of people are gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Al Mohler has told me a few years ago, he said, I've been the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary for 15 years, and I have only received one phone call from a pulpit committee asking for the name of an expositor. This is from the man who is the president of the largest seminary in the evangelical world that trains men for the largest denomination in the evangelical world, 15 years and one request for a biblical expositor. Men, that is a famine in the land for the hearing of the words of the Lord. Now, I spoke not long ago at a seminary, a leading seminary in this country. They asked me if I would come and do the Bible Exposition Week in chapel that week. I thought, this is tremendous. It's the high point of the entire spiritual lead, uh, year for this, for this seminary. Uh, I took the book of Jonah and preached verse by verse through the entire book of Jonah. Four chapel messages 
four chapters on Jonah, moved right through the text, and when it was over, one of the most prominent and leading professors of this seminary, who has been there some 60 years, came up to me and he said, Steve, you are a dinosaur. We do not even put out people like you anymore. We don't even know anyone like you. And I thought, my God, we are living in days of famine in the land. Theology has given way to theatrics. Pulpits have been replaced with performances. Doctrine has been abandoned for drama. We are living in days of severe famine in the land. And you and I need to be aware that as we serve the Lord in the places in which we serve God, that we are not surrounded by places that are serving an abundance of food to their parishioners and to those who sit under their ministries. And in this hour and in this day, as we look to our right and as we look to our left, in so many cases we will be alone as we serve the Lord, and we must do the work of ten men and stand in the gap and serve the food of God's Word. I want you to, say, to see forth the cause of the famine. I want you to go back to the beginning of chapter 8. Why did God send such a famine upon the land? The answer is clear. And the answer is, when they had the Word of God brought to them, they would not hear it, they would not heed it, and they came to the point when God said, therefore I will with, with, remove my prophets and my people will no longer hear the Word of the Lord. So notice verse 1. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. Now, this is the fourth of the five visions that the Lord would give to Amos. In chapter 7, there are three visions, the vision of the locust, the vision of the fire, and the vision of the plumb line, and the plumb line being that unchanging standard of the Word of God by which everything else is measured. In chapter 9, there will be a, revel, a, a vision of God Himself. Here in, ch in chapter 8, the vision is that of summer fruit. Amos is shown a basket of summer fruit by the Lord. It is the end of the summer season. And this is the fruit that is fully ripened by the long summer's sun. It has reached its final stage of development. So notice verse 2. God now speaks to Amos. God said, what do you see, Amos? And as God asked the question, it is not for God to, to receive information that he does not have. The point of the question is to teach Amos and to teach us something. The question is designed to teach the prophet a lesson, to force Amos to think. Now, this basket of summer fruit would become an object lesson for the prophet. And so we continue to read in verse 2, And I said, 
hey, basket of summer fruit. The prophet saw exactly what God had revealed to him in this vision. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The message is clear. God's people are ripe for judgment. There is an intended wordplay here as end and, and fruit, summer fruit, sound much the same in the Hebrew. It's a pun, if you will, like saying the fall of the year will be the fall of God's people. Ripe fruit means that the people of God are ripe for judgment. There will be no more patience with God. No more time will be given to the people of God. No more extended opportunities will come from God to His people. There will be no more servants who will come with the Word. There will be no, vo no more, thus says the Lord, through His prophets. And so He says in verse 3, the songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day. That day is the day of the coming famine. The songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day, declares the Lord God. Uh, these songs probably refer to the Feast of Booths when they would gather to celebrate the prosperity the Lord had given to them, and they had much for which to physically give thanks. It was a joyous time of merriment when suddenly the songs were turned to wailing, ear-shattering screams reserved for the funeral. And that day, in verse 3, refers to the day of divine intervention, the day of divine judgment, when God would descend upon the land by bringing the Assyrians down into Israel to subject them to horrible captivity. Many will be the corpses there will be the loss of human life. In every place, they will cast them forth in silence. There will be shock and awe upon the faces of the people of God. They have been, they have been carefree. They have been laughing. They have been marked by outward gaiety and, and, and uh, outward partying. And now it will be replaced by absolute silence because of the dead bodies that are strewn all around them. Verse 4, hear this, God says, hear this, you who trample the needy to do away with the humble of the land. God is explaining why He is bringing this judgment. It is because the people of God had disregarded the Word of God, which called for compassion toward the needy and equity toward the poor, and the people of God turned a total deaf ear to the Word. We would say today, it came in one ear and went out the other. Verse, uh, verse 6 says what they are thinking in their minds. They are not saying it out loud. But God with x-ray vision is looking into their heart and He gives to the prophet Amos the transcription of what they are saying. This is what they are saying, the people of God. When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain? The new moon was one of the religious holidays at the beginning of each month. 
And while they are sitting in the house of God, while they are hearing the Word of God, they could hardly wait for church to be over so that they could go back to their true love, so that they could go back to where their heart is, which was making money. The whole time that the Word of God was being preached to them, they could hardly bear it. They could not wait to get out of this religious service and to go back to the marketplace so that they could make more money. Their true love was not God and not the Word of God, though they sat in the house of God. Their true love was out in the world, which was to consume the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That is what consumed their hearts. And so we read in verse 5, and the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market. Uh, The Sabbath was their weekly time for worship. And the whole time they are under the preaching of the Word of God, they are saying, oh, when will this be over? How much longer of the Word must we endure? Uh, The businessmen could hardly wait until the worship service was over so that they could go back to their money-making schemes. And the whole time they are under the Word of God, their wheels are turning, and, and they are scheming how they can make more money. They did not want the words of the prophet. What they wanted was the prophet of the marketplace. And so we read in verse 5, to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger and to cheat with dishonest scales. What they were doing was conspiring in their own heart how they can bilk the people out of more money. They would make the profit, the the product smaller. They would make the exchange rate greater. They would make the scales upon which the smaller profit would be, product would be measured. It would be heavier scales. So the people would be be paying far more for far less. It was dishonest. It was a total lack of integrity. It was stealing from the pockets of the people. And the whole time, they are under the sound of the Word of God. They are going through the New Moon festivals. They are going to Sabbath uh, celebrations every, de- every week. Verse 6, so as to buy the helpless for money. Those who finally have come to the end of their resources, who can no longer pay for more money, for less product until they finally come to a state of of bankruptcy. They are left to sell themselves into debtor's court and be bought by those who had lent them the money until they now had sold themselves into slavery to the very merchants who were selling them the product. And the entire time, these merchants were going back into their places of worship. They were hearing the Word of God, but there was no repentance. There was no confession of sin. There was no turning away from their worldliness. Instead, the entire time, they are repelling the message of the Word of God. They are saying no to God. They are stiff-arming God. They are bored to death in church, can hardly wait to get out of the service so that they can go back to their life of worldliness and godlessness. 
And then he says in verse 6, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They are buying people for the price of a pair of shoes. And that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. Just the leftovers, the scraps that, that fall to the floor after they have measured out their other products. They sweep up really the debris off of the floor, they package it together, and they sell it to the poor people. Here's the problem. The preaching of the Word of God meant absolutely nothing to them. They heard the truth over and over and over, and it had, they had become numb to it. They sat under the Word of God, but the entire time they were daydreaming. They were fantasizing about business and, and making money. They were not setting their mind on things above. They were not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Their creed was greed. Their God was gold. Their motto was, get all you can and can all you get and sit on the lid. They belly ached. When is the Sabbath day with all of this preaching going to be over? Do you think there are any similarities for the day in which we live? Do you see people bored with church? Do you see people tapping their watches, wanting shorter and shorter sermons and less and less of the Word? so that they can go back undisturbed to their lifestyle of sin. Such spiritually dead churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and they get out at 12 o'clock dull. <laughs> they are the bland leading the bland. Their sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. Their congregations are corpses. They have undertakers for ushers. They have embalmers for elders. Their pastor graduated from the cemetery. Their choir director is the local coroner. They sing embalmed in Gilead. You may say their worship is a bit stiff. The chair on the platform is for rigor mortis to sit in. I've got more. <laughs> I'm not finished. <laughs> At the rapture, they will be the first church taken because the dead in Christ will rise first. <laughs> they drive to church in one long line with their headlights on. Whenever someone joins the church, they notify the next of kin. The church van is a black hearse, and their church sign is a tombstone. But you want to know what's even worse? It is those churches where there is the buzz of excitement, and where there is electricity in the air, and where there is energy, but there is no preaching of the Word of God. The people of God ought to rise up with one voice and say, where is the beef? Give us the Word of God. How sad it is 
where spiritually dead churches cannot even bear the simplest diet of the Word of God. So what is God's response to such dead religion? Look at verse 7. The Lord has sworn, verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. The pride of Jacob is a name that refers to God Himself. What this is saying is God has taken an oath by Himself to Himself. God has sworn there is no higher name by which God can pledge the fidelity of His oath. The Lord has sworn the pride of Jacob. Indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Not a single one of their boredom with the Word of God will be overlooked by the Lord. And they're going off into their lifestyles of living for this world. Verse 8, because of this, because of what? Because of their utter rejection of the Word of God. Because of their utter resistance to the prophets of God. Because of their consumption of their lifestyles in which they are abusing people and bilking them for their money. Because of this, will not the land quake and everyone who dwells in it mourn. He is saying that there will be a judgment that will descend upon the people of God that will be like an earthquake that will shake the very land in which they find themselves. He says in verse 8, indeed all of it will rise up like the Nile. There will be a flood of, of judgment that will spill over the banks of God and will sweep across the land and will consume the people of God. It will be this coming famine in the land for the hearing of the word of the Lord. It will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. It will swallow up all of the people and drown them in misery. Verse 9, it will come about in that day, the day of calamity, the coming of the Assyrians, that will be the birth of this famine. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I shall make the sun go down at noon. It will be like a total eclipse in the sky. Darkness, as it were, will cover the land. The darkness, though, will be a spiritual darkness. God will turn out the lights of truth. The people will be left in absolute darkness. Verse 10, then I shall turn your festivals into mourning. God will just shut down the worship services. God will pull the rug out from under the hypocrisy of all of this religiosity and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. And the end of it will be like a bitter day. What was this cause of national disaster? What was the cause of this devastation, of this attack that came upon the people of God? The answer is that in the midst of their days of prosperity, the nation rejected God. The nation rejected the Word of God. 
And God would take them off to a land in which they would never hear the word of God again. I believe that this is precisely what has occurred in this land in which you and I live. Never before in the history of the world has there been a land so blessed with so much preaching of the Word of God. Never has a land had more Bible colleges, more Christian schools, more seminaries, more Bible teaching pastors, more Christian publishing houses, more Christian television, more Christian radio, more Christian bookstores, more theologians, more authors, more teachers, more professors, more evangelists, more Bible translators, more Bible translations, more Bible publishers as this land in which we live. And no land has ever so intentionally repudiated the Word of God and turned a deaf ear to God that it might go back to the things of the world. This is the cause of the famine. And God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, will not tolerate His people, His people, when they refuse to hear the word of the Lord. If you do not use it, you will lose it. So notice finally the consequences of the famine. What is the result of, of such a famine upon the people? What is its effect when the famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord come? Notice verse 12, people. That refers not to the Egyptians. That refers not to the Babylonians. That refers not to the Canaanites. That refers not to the Assyrians. That refers to the people of God. People will stagger. They will be so weakened by this famine that they can hardly stand up. They will stagger about like drunks from place to place, searching, looking, but never finding the Word. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east, from the Mediterranean Sea in the west to the Dead Sea in the south, from Galilee in the north to Jordan in the east. This represents the totality of the land. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the south. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. This will be like the day after 9-11. People will be in shock. People will be out of their mind. They will be in consternation. Do you remember what it was like in your church after 9-11? Suddenly, everybody's religious. Suddenly, everybody wants to hear a word from God. I remember the church that I pastored. There was a Wednesday night prayer meeting right after that. I would normally speak to a, just a handful of people, be like BBs in a barrel. They would just be bouncing around in the sanctuary. There were almost 3,000 people there that night. 
People were desperate for answers. They were like a drowning person looking for a rope to, to suddenly hang on to. It was not true repentance. It was a, a self-serving, grasping for a straw someplace, somewhere. That's what these people are doing. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. And in this day, commerce was halted. The economy was ruined. The businessmen were shut down. Their businesses were put out of business. They turned to the Lord for help. But notice the end of verse 12. But they will not find it. There would be no voice of the prophet. There would be no word from God. There would be no message from heaven. There would be none to be found. They had crossed the deadline with God. Jesus said much the same in Matthew 13, verse 12, of the seriousness of when we hear the Word of God, to act upon the Word of God. What a privilege it is to be exposed to the Word of God and the great stewardship and responsibility that comes to the hearer when they hear the Word of God to act upon the Word of God. But if the hearer does not act upon the Word of God, God says He will remove that Word from their ears. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 12, for whoever has, has what? Has the truth. To him more shall be given. But he will have an abundance, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. What that says is when you hear the truth and you receive the truth, if you will act upon that truth, more truth will be given to you. But if you receive the truth and repudiate the truth and reject the truth, the time comes when God will remove the truth from you, lest the person be saved. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, we read Paul's words, they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence. Not the devil, not the world, not the false prophets. God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but who took pleasure in wickedness. Now, we cannot play fast and loose with the truth. No generation can play fast and loose with the truth. Either you use the truth or you will lose it. This is really Romans 1. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, verse 21, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. 
Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and the birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. If a generation will not receive the truth that is given to it, There comes a time and a place when God will abandon them and give them over and there will be a famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. So look at verse 13. In that day, the day of famine for the hearing of God's word, in that day the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst, the strongest of young people the most energetic, the most athletic, those least likely to faint, they will stagger from weakness for lack of the Word of God. Verse 14, as for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria. This refers to the allegiances that the people of God were making to false gods, adding to their guilt. They had turned a deaf ear to the Word and instead turned to, first, to false gods in Baal worship. Verse 14, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, the tribe of Dan to the north, swore by false deities on pagan altars. And as the way of, the, of Beersheba lives, The way of Beersheba was the way to go down to the south to worship pagan gods. I believe that the church today has done the same, swearing and pledging allegiance to other gods. The church today has bowed its knee at the altar of pragmatism, mysticism, legalism, open theism, ecumenicalism, universalism, annihilationism, liberalism, ritualism, sacerdotalism, secularism, or as R.G. Lee used to say, every ism that ought to be a wasm. <laughs> and what will be the result? Look at the end of the chapter, the last line. At the end of verse 14, what will be the result? of such a famine in the land. They, referring to God's people, they will fall and will not rise again. This scene has been repeated down through the centuries among the people of God. Those places where the Word of God was most heard, where the Word of God was most preached, when those people turn away from hearing of the Word of the Lord, they fall and never recover again. Wittenberg and Worms in Germany, where Luther once stood and posted his 95 theses, 
has fallen and has not risen again. Geneva, where John Calvin so fearlessly preached the Word, is now home to the apostate World Council of Churches. Oxford, where John Owen was dean, where George Whitfield was converted, has fallen and has not risen again. Edinburgh, where John Knox and Robert Murray McShane and Chalmers walked the land as giants, has fallen and they have not risen again. St. Andrews, where Patrick Hamilton and George Wishart preached the Word of God and were martyred, has fallen and it has not risen again. And on and on it goes. London, Yale, Harvard have all fallen and they have not risen again. This has occurred in every generation. How rare it is in those places where the Word of God has been heard and has been utterly rejected and has fallen for it to ever come back again. When God sits a famine, it is a devastating, lasting judgment upon that land. So what are we to do? How shall we now then live? How are we to conduct ourselves as ministers of the Word of God in days of such famine? Number one, compassion. Have you ever turned on television and seen those, those pictures of children in Africa who are starving? And you see their stomachs bloated? Does that not tug on your heart? Does that not move you in some way with a feeling of compassion towards those children who are without the Word of God? Even so, we must feel compassion for those who are around us who are subjected to a famine for the hearing of the Word of the Lord. We need to weep over the times in which we live. We need to be like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and lament the broken walls of the church. We need to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who wept over the city of Jerusalem. Let us weep over the impoverished conditions of the famine in our day. And let us feel compassion for those who are subjected in ministries and in places that are barren and dusty, and there is no food for their souls. Second, saturation. We now, more than ever, as men of God, must be saturated with the Word of God. In days of famine, it is all the more reason to dig deeply into the Scripture. You and I must have a voracious appetite for the Word of God, and we must be devouring it on a daily basis because we in reality are eating even for others who find themselves in famine conditions. We must study the Word of God. We must pour over the Word of God so that we may be able to feed the languishing souls of others. Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, why the man is a walking Bible, cut him anywhere, and he bleeds bibline. So it is, we must be walking Bibles in these days of famine in the land. And we must be saturated, and we must find the Word of God and eat it, so that when we speak, we speak words of truth. Third, not only saturation, proclamation, we ourselves must preach the Word of God as now, now as never before. Every time we enter our studies, we must prepare a feast. 
Every time we step into the pulpit, we must serve a banquet. Sunday by Sunday, week by week, we must give the best meal to feed the souls of our people. We need a deluge of biblical preaching. We need a cloudburst of expository preaching. We need a rainstorm of scriptural truth to be proclaimed in the land. This land needs to be flooded with the hearing of the words of the Lord. Let the Word of God pour down in our preaching. Let there be thunder and lightning again in the pulpit as we proclaim the truth of the Word of God. And finally, expectation. Men, we must not lose heart. We must not lose hope. The God who sends the famine is the God who brings the rainy season, is the God who brings the growing season, is the God who brings the harvest. After the dreadful famine comes seasons of refreshing from the Lord. Let us devote ourselves to the Word of God now as never before. Let us not kid ourselves into thinking that we are serving in some Pollyanna time in history. Days of famine are here for the hearing of the Word of the Lord. We must devour the Word. We must consume the Word. We must eat the Word. We must digest the Word. We must live the Word. And now, more than ever, we must preach the Word of God. We must do the work of ten men. We must feed the hungry souls of people all around us. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the appointed hour in history in which God has placed us. He has strategically placed us upon His timeline of history in this hour. And it is at this time now more than ever that we must devote ourselves to that which is not transpiring around us in other places as others are languishing in famine conditions, as others are suffering under starvation conditions, as days of drought surround us in denominations and in churches and in ministries that once were committed to the Word and now no longer. Let us spread a banquet feast before the people. Let us serve the Word of God now as never before. And let us have hope that after darkness is light and after days of famine, surely the God of heaven will hear from heaven and He will bring again a season of great blessing from His hand to His people. Let us remain faithful. Let us look to the Lord and let us minister His Word in days of famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we feel the winds blowing around us. We feel the dust and the dryness. We see the fields empty. We see there is no harvest. We see in mainline denominations 
We see in places where the Word once prospered that there are now days of drought. There is a famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. And many are staggering. And many are turning and seeking and looking. But it is even a false repentance. Lord, we pray for our land, wherever it is you have called us to serve. We plead with you for the honor of your name and for the display of your glory in this hour that you would remove the famine conditions and that you would restore the plenty in the barn. I pray that we in this room would devote ourselves to serve the Word of God as never before. I pray that as we go into our studies and open the Bible, that we will pour over it, we will study it, we will eat it, we will devour it into our souls, that it will be like, like honey to our taste, and that week by week and Sunday by Sunday as we stand before your people in such hours, that we will be faithful to serve a full course meal of the height and depth and breadth and length of your word, the fullness of the richness of sound doctrine and biblical theology. I pray that we pro would proclaim Christ and Him crucified, that we would preach the full counsel of God, and that in days of famine, these places to which you have called us, these parts of the land in which you have assigned us to serve, that we would serve a full buffet, a full banquet feast, and we pray that others would be drawn to the sweet aroma of the food that will be served from the Word of God. Would you lift the famine? Would you bring back clouds? Would you pour down rain again upon the land? May your word come down as the rain, and may it not return to you void without accomplishing all your good pleasure. Bring the cloudbursts of grace and mercy and favor upon the dried and parched land in which we serve. And may we be instruments in your hand to be used by you and to live to see the day when there would be seasons of refreshing that would come yet again from your land, from your hand. So, Father, we turn to you. We humble ourselves before you. And we ask that you would use us in these days. May our hands be full of food for hungry hearts in our churches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've reached the end of this audio presentation. For more audio or for more information on the Shepherds Conference, please visit shepherdsconference.org.